This is episode 94 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today, Hope Ellis Ashburn returns to the show. Hope, an award-winning author, is a high school teacher by day and a part-time writer, equestrian, and farmer during all other waking hours. Hope's writing has been featured in Equus, Horse Illustrated, the American Quarter Horse Journal, Arabian Horse Life, Sidelines, U.S. Equestrian, Hoofbeats, The Sound Advocate, Experience Arabian Horses, and Hobby Farms magazines. She has also been a featured writer on the Horse.com blog and has written a memoir, Always Hope, How Dairy Cows and Arabian Horses Inspired Grit in a Young Girl's Life. Hope lives with her husband and daughter in a remodeled farmhouse that dates back to 1927 and originally belonged to her husband's grandparents. The house is situated on a farm that has been in continuous operation by the same family for nearly 200 years. It is currently an Angus cow-calf breed operation where Hope also keeps Sally, her half-Arabian mare, Harmony, a donkey, Gus and Daisy, two border collies, and Rose, a house cat. Today, Hope and I are discussing her reimagined version of Kimbrook Arabians, how an unlikely Midwestern couple influenced an ancient breed. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm so happy to have Hope Ellis Ashburn back on the show with me. Welcome, Hope. I'm so happy to see your lovely face. Hi! It's so good to see you. This is going to be a super great conversation because Hope has re-envisioned her very first book, and she's going to talk to us about how that goes and how she did it and how she tackled it. So let's talk about your re-release. You recently re-released your book, Kimbrook Arabians, How an Unlikely Midwestern Couple Influenced an Ancient Breed. Give us a little summary of what this book is about. I know your heart horse influenced your interest in really telling this story. So share with listeners a little bit about what this book is about. So this book is basically the the history of a breeding program that bred Arabian horses over a 50-year time period. And it delves into a couple, Bill and Joanne Gutnick, the owners, who became my friends. It chronicles their lives from the very beginning, pre-horse, to the start of their breeding program, all the way through to the end. It's very detailed and research-based in a way that, that is not boring. It's in a way that, you know, it tells the story of their lives and their their horses and the decisions that they made and how they arrived at that and um, just kind of weaves everything together from the horses and the fabric into that. So if you just like a good horse story, if you like lots of good pictures, that piece is there. But then if you're someone who also enjoys that side of the breeding records of a program and, and the show records of the horses and the produce of the horses they bred, that part of is there too. So I like to kind of think there's something for everybody in the book that has an interest in horses, whether it's Arabian horses or what have you. I yes. love how you talked about it's it's fact-based, but it's not boring. And I think that is the f- interesting thing about writing something 
like this, like bi biographical, like a story where you're telling the story of somebody else's life, it can, you can write it and it can read like a good horse story. Yes. In the way you set up the flow and the way your words tell, tell their story. It might be about real people, but it's still a story. Uh, and I think it takes real talent to write that way. And you have a lot of experience researching and writing. Uh, you've written other books, but you're also a freelance journalist. So you have, yes. you have a lot of experience writing stories and telling stories of a true nature. <laughs> I, I will say my uh, copy editor, Toby Taylor, who is a member of the American Horse Publications that we both belong to, she was huge in that. In spite of my experience, one of the things that you and I have kind of talked about in the past is Bill and Joanne were very, very private people. And there was things that they just didn't share even with their you know their family and very close friends and then there was some fires that happened that destroyed a lot of the fiscal records and it would have been very easy at different points in the book to say you know what I'm this is not going to happen I'm not going to be able to find this piece of the puzzle but and not to say that that didn't occasionally happen but Toby she's also an anthropologist as well as a copy editor and she really pushed me to greater heights. And that was one of the best experiences of this book. And so we were able to find things, you know, now I found pictures made by Polly Knoll, who is a, was a very popular um, Arabian horse photographer and really contributed to the history of the breed, but they were, the pictures were at Cal Poly Pomona, which I would in a library there and they were negatives in a book. And I would never have found those or even known who to have talked to without Toby's input of, you know, you need to reach out to this person, you know, she might be able to help. And so that has kind of helped me, you know, not only find pieces for the book, but now I have a body of research that when I'm gone, my daughter has instructions to donate to the International Museum of the Horse, because this is Arabian breed history. That's a part of this. We researched databases and websites and reached out to research museums and, and just to kind of pull all of this together. Oh, that's amazing. And I love that you mentioned that because a couple of things occurred to me there in that conversation. One, it's finding the right people to work yes, with. so important. Yes, to help you create the very best book that you can. But also it, it's, a, it's a team effort. You may do, be doing the writing, but there's all these other people that come together to make the final product and push you to create the yes. very best product possible. And I know Toby has written books about the Arab the history of Arabian breeding and yes. the history of Arabian horses. Uh, she's actually out here in Arizona where I am. Yes. So I see her books in like the local Walgreens and oh, stuff cool. talking about the, because Arabian horses are huge in my Yes, country. they're in Arizona. Yes. Yeah. The the big Arabian show comes out, you know, is out here every year and there's tons of Arabian breeding farms. So like the history of Arabian horses is very powerful out here. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. She was absolutely the right person and it, it's like look for the right person that's going to help your work become better and she pushed you and, and she had knowledge of what you were researching and writing about which I think yes is and that was that was very very important piece to this too because she could fill in some things that I didn't know and she had contacts you know as well in terms of the, the cover design so this is my book uh, my current version of the book and Toby had, had worked with a graphic designer who did all of my interior work as well as the cover of the book. But you can kind of see, um, and we'll talk more about this later, there's a big difference um, in the first book and the second book. The barn is an element that remains the same, but um, different season, much brighter picture. And 
this um, horse in the background, which is kind of almost looks like a cloud uh, in the book. This is my heart horse, Fox Eldin. This is his sire, and his name is Fakur El Kamal. On the back is his grandsire, Almera Count Rascal, which this was one of the pictures that Polly Knoll made that we um, found at Cal Poly. She did a great job of connecting me to another helpful person who really helped bring that cover to the next level. Oh, it's beautiful. And you also mentioned interior design. I heard you say that there, you, there's a lot of pictures inside the book. There is. There is. There's pictures of the Milky Way farm. There's tons of horse um, pictures in the book. And so what I tried to do for the Arabian horse person that's reading this is just to kind of um, give points of reference for this is horse's sire. This is their dam. This was the show records um, for those that are interested um, in that piece, but also to kind of give a you know, a time and place picture of what it was like living on the Milky Way farm where it was located in Tennessee and so on. I think that's awesome. I, I as a reader, I really appreciate when I'm reading something factual, the, the pictures. So I can, even if, it, if it's a memoir or, or anything, to see the real thing. Yes. Really great. Like with fiction, I don't want any pictures. I don't want to know. What, <laughs> I don't want to know what anybody looks like. I want to use my imagination. But when I'm reading something factual, because if the pictures aren't in the book, I'm Googling and I'm still Googling yes. anyway, but I'm always looking for the picture. So I love it when authors include pictures of the horse or pictures of the owner, uh, pictures of the place inside the book. Yes. I think that that was a really, really awesome decision. And, and that was one thing that Toby was able to provide too, was um, she had tons of files from all of those older Arabian horse breeding programs from when they advertised in the Arabian horse publications. The Gutniks knew um, these people in Wisconsin who were just cornerstone, you know, breeders of that time period. And so they were running stallion ads and so on in the Arabian horse magazines. And so she had those, um, you know, to provide just to, to give the context of they knew all these neat people. It was, it was fabulous. Oh, that's so great. And, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about the pictures, too, because I think some because I know that you're an independently published author. Yes. And that's the route that you chose to go. I think some uh, independent authors, indie authors would be afraid to attempt photos inside of their book because they're not sure how to do that in the self-publishing realm. Like, what would you say to those people who are like, like, I don't even want to try to figure out how to put photos in my, in my books. Like, how did, how did you approach that? Well, I will say I, I did attempt it with the first release of the book, but I went the easiest possible route, which I didn't, looking back now, was not another reason for republishing. It wasn't the best possible route because I just chose a section of the book rather than trying to flow the pictures with the text and put all the pictures in a section if that makes sense. But with having a graphic designer, you know, on board, I was able to send the pictures to her. She was able to make high resolution uh, copies of those pictures, which was something, you know, I had no knowledge of when I was doing the first book. And then she was able to flow it with the text. So now when you're reading about Hillcrest Arabian Stud, for example, and you see that picture of the ad, that's right there in the text where you're reading about it, which I think in my opinion, anyway, is so much better than just having to flip through to the back of the book and find the picture. That makes sense. And then, so did, so you sent her your manuscript and the pictures and indicated where they needed to go. Yes. She flowed everything into a file that you she could did. then upload. Upload. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly right. And which is 
the right way to do that, right? Because if we can't figure out how to do everything, like working with designers to make sure we create the best product possible is really great. And I think some authors might flinch at like, how much does that cost? But, you know, it's an investment that if your book is really good, hopefully you earn back in the long run as the book is out in the world. But, you know, I've found that you can find people that can do this for you, that it's not- Not unreasonable. And and I think for me, especially with this book, I mean, it, it was important with both books, but for me, this this book was a, a growth book, this re-release, and it was about seeing what I was capable of producing, like the highest level of product that I was able of producing. And so that that was another big reason for me for making that you know, investment. And the cover is beautiful and the interior design. I thought you were very thoughtful about this. You know, and this is a relaunch or a re-revision of your very first book. You know, sometimes yes. with, sometimes with first, you just gotta get out, get it out there, you know, like to say, I know I can do this, right? And then you and that's the beauty also of being an an indie author. You can come back to a work and reimagine it and rework it if you'd like to. But you know, there there's something to be said for that first. And it, it can always be reworked. So let's talk about why you decided to rework and relaunch your first book. So this is kind of a neat story. After my first book came out, periodically as just a part of something other, some of the project that I was working on, I would discover bits and pieces of information about it. And I there was no, at that point, consideration that I was going to redo the book, but just more of a, hey, that's kind of neat. I'd like to go back and look at that at some point. I'm just going to stick this in a file in my computer. Or somebody would tag me on Facebook with a, a picture of a Kimber course. Well, that's cool. I'll just put this in my little, you know, my file here. And then last year, I was leaving work one day. and I'm flipping through my phone, walking down the halls. I'm headed out to the parking lot. And um, this gentleman from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Brandon Rowe, uh, he was a business owner in Milwaukee. And his business, Pet Lawn, Pet Law Services was about to reach a milestone, and he was piecing together the history of his business, which happened to be a previous business owned by the Gutnitz. And so he had been, he said he had been searching for years, but he had never Googled Bill and Joanne's name together. He had always just Googled Joanne Gutnick or Bill Gutnick. And sometimes you get lost, you know, like that in your research, you just don't think this aha moment. And so he had Googled their names together and he found me because of the first book. And so he messages me on my Red Horse on a Red Hill uh, Facebook page, which is the little side note, name of my content creation business and, you know, introduce himself. And I jokingly say, because I've met so many wonderful people as a result of this book, you know, you tell your kids don't communicate with strangers on the internet. I do it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Met some of the neatest people, Um, you know, you have to be careful, of course, but I messaged him back and there was just this immediate click. I don't know. We were just friends almost immediately. And so he would ask questions and I would ask questions and he was sending pictures of, you know, the good and the business and I was doing from my end. And it just, it was like the, the tip of the iceberg or just picking this little corner that was starting to come unravel. And all of a sudden, just everything started opening up and, as a result of that. And so I really credit, you know, Brennan with just kind of getting the ball rolling on that. And so as more and more information started to come to light, then I started thinking about all the stuff that I had been collecting and I was, you know, then it had to happen. (laughs) It just had to happen. Wow. That's amazing. So what I love about this though, is if you hadn't written the first book, 
Yes, this wouldn't have happened. This never would have happened and you wouldn't have stumbled across this additional information and you wouldn't have been collecting all this other stuff that people had been sending you over the years. And, you know, you know, so it's almost like the first book had to happen in order to get to this version of yes. the book. Yes. And even though I'm not just ecstatically happy about the first version anymore, now that I see, you know, what I'm capable of doing and, and I know a lot more than I did, you know, a few years ago when I used the first one, it had, I think it had to happen. It had to be out there in order for this one to come to fruition. When I compare the two books, there's just, it's night and day different. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and there's been growth for you as a writer through your career. Yes. And now yes. you have a lot more information and you, you've worked with, I think a you didn't work with Toby on the first book, right? This no, I did not. And so, uh, and Toby and I didn't know each other really well then. We just had kind of developed a friendship, the friendship um, result of HP. And um, it, it just, even, and I will even say um, Susan Freeland, who is a mutual friend of the two of us, HP is such an integral part of this book because, you know, I bounced um, title ideas off of Susan and some other friends of ours. And Susan was the one that ultimately you know, came up with one that was just really resonated. Again, it takes a tribe, a herd, a team to, to yes. get to where, to where you want it to be. And, and I will say, yes, uh, American Horse Publications has been an incredible organization. That's where you and I met. That's where I met Toby. You met Toby. That's where Susan Friedland and I met and, and so many others of us. And we're creating this cool little tribe of authors who unite and work together and support each yes. other, who we can bounce ideas off or ask questions of. Uh, so yes. I, highly, I highly recommend American Horse Publications. I mean, there's editors, there's freelancers, there's journalists, there's authors, there's brands, there's marketers, there's pretty much anything. It's everything. You can, <laughs> yeah, you can think of in the horse world is a great place to meet and network and connect with people and create lifelong friendships because that yes. has certainly happened for me. So from what I understand, we were talking a little bit before the interview got started. This book is the same topic, but it is completely reimagined. You've got a new ISBN number for it, a new cover. The content is, from what I understand, dramatically different. different. Yes. Yes. So it's almost like it's almost not even a relaunch. It's like a brand new book. So, so did you leave the other, the older book, the first book out in the, the world? Or did you decide to take that down from Amazon and then put this one up? So or? I've taken it down from Amazon, but of course, older versions of the book mm -hmm. are still available. And so that is, that's hard, but that's still out there. And, and I think it has probably created a little that not a huge, but a little bit of an obstacle for me in terms of marketing this book, because I think especially people who bought the first book are kind of looking at why would I buy this new book when the topic's the same. So it's been really getting that information, you know, out there that this, you won't feel like you've read this book before. But another piece of that, that Toby suggested was reaching out to some friends of the Goonings to see who might be interested among them of writing a forward for the book. And so what that person that we ended up choosing was Madge Gooney. And Madge is in her own right a, a phenomenal person. And, and she has her own uh, book out, but she was also the owner of Hillcrest Arabian Stud. And she was one of the Arabian breeding farms that surrounded the Gutnigs that was socially friends with the Gutnigs, but also friends through the Arabian Horse Club. They were friends through dogs. The Gutnigs used to breed German Shepherd dogs. And so she really, she had an intimate 
relationship with them. But she's also a name in the Arabian industry. And so people recognize, you know, her as putting a number of national champion Arabian horses, you know, on the ground. And I was so fortunate. Um, and this is just another example. Um, I dug up her number and, and gave her a call. And she doesn't have to speak to this complete stranger who's, you know, reached out to her. She doesn't have to write a forward, you know, for my book. But we developed a relationship as well. And I'm so thankful to her, you know, that she shared who the Gutniks were uh, in that period before I knew them. And we're just getting started with Arabian horses. And so she um, wrote the board for my book. And, and that was another thing, you know, like I said, that Toby suggested that maybe when people read the book that, um, you know, I'm certainly not as established as Madge, who's, you know, in her 80s, you know, people may look at my name and be like, well, who the heck is this, you know, woman that's writing, you know, this book, but if Madge is putting her stamp of approval, you know, of the information and the, you know, the material and writing the board, that lends some credibility you know, to the new piece. And so I'm ecstatic that, you know, she chose to be a part of the process. Well, the, A, what a great, great idea by your editor, your, your developmental editor, Toby. But also, I love how horses bring people together. Oh, my goodness. And, yes. And then also being a writer of a book, because for some reason, like, it's just, you're able to connect. I mean, horse people are great, you know, like you reach out to them and you're able to, to really connect. Yes. And I find it's a little bit easier because we have the horses in common, but also writing a book, like I've reached out to so many people, like doing this podcast because I wrote a book, like you, you, it almost pushes you to reach out to people that you would be like nervous to do. Yes. Yes. For any other reason. And Oh, and my heart was beating super fast when I called Madge the first time. But um, she was so, you know, she's so welcoming. She's, you know, like I said, she's in her 80s, you know, now and just um, sharp and witty and and fun, you know, to talk with. And, and we exchange emails. And, and so that was this was adding another friend to uh, to a long you know, list of people I've met because of horses and riding. Yeah. And I love that you wrote this book because you knew them, right? You know, and yes. in the beginning, people were like, well, who is this person? But you actually knew them and you have a vested interest in your heart and your love for these people and telling their story accurately and adding to it when you once you've gathered more information, because from what I'm hearing is that these are private people who did a lot of good in the world. And, and this version of the book came out of you learning more and more and more about them and connecting with people who knew them who could add pieces to the puzzle because it's not like you can go to the library and get you know like the racetrack history of secretariat to write a book about right. it. you had to deep dive and like really really put on your investigative hat and find out information about these people who you you knew but who are also fiercely private so and i want you know the the barn um that's pictured on the front of my book that um was rebuilt, you know, after a fire. But when the barn burned in Pulaski, that that destroyed all paper documentation. I mean, it was was essentially gone. And so, um, unless it was going to be found, like at Cal Poly, or you know, even on sites like Ancestry.com, or even just from pictures that I had, because you know they weren't just my friends. I worked for them for a period of time, you know, as well on their breeding program. So unless it was from my files or something like that, it wasn't going to exist. And I will never forget the day that they bred and showed German Shepherd dogs very successfully before they got into Arabian horses. But I will never forget the day that Toby made this discovery, and she said, "You need to check this out." 
And she said, and so I started digging more and she started digging more. And we actually found a picture of Joanne showing one of the dogs in a newspaper article. And then, I mean, and see that it would just happen to be like newspapers.com type deal from, from that era. And then, then we found that led to actually finding a quality picture that we could use in the book of one of Joanne's very popular uh, dogs. And that's how we, it was the smoking gun for knowing that Kimbrook Kennel was how she got the name for Kimbrook Farm. And until then, that was just kind of something I thought I remembered her saying, but that, that solidified it because it, you know, all of her German Shepherd dogs had the Kimbrook prefix before. So anyway, it was just, it was, the whole process was fascinating and it was, it was hard as heck and it was stressful and it, and yet it was fun and enjoyable and a roller coaster ride all at the same time. Um, and just meeting tons of people. Wow. Yeah. And learning more about these people that were important to you, but like digging, yes. digging you, I hear you really dug in. So on this re-release, I mean, again, it occurs to me that this is like a whole new book. So did you like take your old manuscript and like move it back to your computer and start dissecting it? Like talk to us about the actual rewrite process of, of this. So because it had been a few years since I had released the first book, one of the first things I did was just to, to reread the book mm-hmm. I wrote myself and it wasn't a terribly lengthy one. And, and then, so, but after I had pulled it up and, and of course I had the printed copy as well, but pulled it up on my computer and reread the manuscript. Then I started taking that and looking at comparing that to things that I had found or things that people had sent me. I, I will say the, uh, just for example, the national champion that they bred, her name was Varushka. She was, uh, I, I love that name. Uh, it just resonates, but her name was Varushka. But, you know, I just had a small blurb of information about Varushka in the first book. I, I wasn't even sure what she had won. It would send me kind of down rabbit holes because uh, I would start pulling in, okay, I'm going to get all this information I can together about Varushka. Okay. And now I'm finding out. So that sent me down another trail of finding out. So collecting and refining information and then marrying all that together and you know that I felt like people would want to read that tell their told their story and the stories of the horses so after we reworking the manuscript again I I'm hearing that this is a whole new book was it much longer after you did all these deep dives and made new connections and found the photos like did did this thing grow so it just it kind of to give you a visual and, and then I can tell you an exact page count, but you can see the difference in thickness of the two books. But the first book was 81 pages and this one is 236 pages. So it, it grew significantly as a result of, of the research and the connections that I made. And that's, I, you know, I'm really proud of that. I feel like I've given a very good, honest representation of the Kimbrook program. And so, and, and not just, you know, of that, I think anybody else, and this is one thing that Toby and I've kind of talked about. And, and one reason, you know, I sent free copies to the research libraries that helped me. And, and one reason that I'm going to donate my papers when I'm done is just, you know, historically, there were not a lot of farms that lasted, you know, a 50 year time period that started in the 60s and present day. And so I want someone who's maybe interested in researching their horse that had Kimbrook bloodlines, because this wasn't the the big name breeders that were out there that there are things written about and are publications, you know, to pick up. This is, this is a couple that 
had no previous experience, you know, with Arabian horses. There was, and, and then ended up creating something um, from that in spite of that. And so hopefully, you know, researchers, you know, in the future can, can look at the book and, and say, okay, my horse came from here, or I just want to know what it was like for the average person to breed Arabian horses. I can go and look at this book and see how that happened and what that looked like. That is amazing. And, and there's still Kimbrook horses and bloodlines out there. There are, there are. And, you know, they're obviously getting uh, fewer and fewer, you know, as you look back in the pedigrees, I, I'm always amazed, even with, with Fox, um, you know, there were, uh, it's, it was always cool to see, you know, desert bred in his pedigree. There was no, no even name. He went so far back. Some of those bloodlines, um, you know, are still alive and well today, but uh, they're just getting further and further back you know, in the pedigrees. Oh, and you're preserving the history of what these people did and their contributions to the Arabian breed. I, you know, I know that his, the history of the Arabian breed is really deep. And there are a lot of people that brought horses over from Europe and, you know, Poland and uh, they're from like all over the place. Yes. And, yeah. And, and they start, it started and became this huge thing in the States. And, and this history is really important to the breed and commemorating the people who have been a contribution and you've done that and you own the small people who just didn't get their names, you know, out there because um, they weren't, they weren't big time and they didn't have financial resources to, you know, to breed on that, that large scale, but they, it's, you know, doing what you can with what you have. And, and they did. Yeah. And I love that you're donating your research. So this stays alive and, and people will understand where it's coming from. And you, you're donating the book to the, the libraries that manage a lot of this history. That's, really an incredible contribution. This is a story that might not have been told without you, Hope, even- right, Well, and that's what I attempted, right, to do is I, I there wasn't gonna be anybody but but me. And and, and that, it's uh, kind of humbling almost, you know, to think of just, I'm the keeper, you know, of the Kimbrick uh, papers. Joanne had a, a son from her first marriage, but he wasn't a horse person and, you know, wasn't tremendously interested and and I was able to interview him and get some information you know personal information for the book but uh but in terms of you know the breeding records and and the horses and and that type of thing that's that's it that's that's me and so that was why it was important to me to get that you know into the research libraries what a fascinating story and you know you you are also a freelance writer. You've written for Equus, the American Quarter Horse Journal, the Horse.com, Arabian Horse Life, Experience Arabian Horses, Horse Illustrated, Sidelines, U.S. Equestrian, Hoofbeats, Hobby Farms, and more. Uh, did you know? Did freelancing give you the confidence a to write a book, but also did that experience help you conduct the interviews that you did and, you know, really like take on the research? Cause I imagine you have to do a lot of research when you're writing articles for publications of that. Yes. And it definitely helped me with the interviews in terms of that. And that was, that was another thing with the first book, I did things kind of backwards. So I published the book and then I got into freelance writing. I think, you know, now having that freelance experience, it's, it's really, it's about the interviews, honing the skill, but it's also about honing the skill with writing. And, and it's a different type of writing. I had to learn with my books. A lot of times I'm limited to a word count when I'm writing a piece for a magazine, but with a book, you actually wanted it to be longer instead of a, a concise version. So there's a little bit of difference there, but the freelance piece really improved my writing, I think, and even though it's a, you know, there's a little bit different, there's a lot more commonalities 
then there are differences. Mm -hmm. and, and I love that you mentioned that you wrote the book before you deep dived into freelance writing. Because, because why not? <laughs> that, well, no, I mean, it, that's, that's, yeah. that's how a lot of people start, right? You know, you start, right. you, you got to start somewhere and then, you know, then your writing life takes off and it kind of takes you in different directions and you get exposed to different kinds of writing and then your writing grows. And, and it's almost like you got the backbone for exactly what you needed to create this version of the book with all the historical information that you're interested in, because it never, again, it never would have happened if you hadn't written that first one that was right, pages right. long. And then so you have to give it credit. And yeah. that, you know, like I said, you have to give that credit, even though maybe it's, it's not ideal, you know, it, I do have to give it a credit for being out there because none of this, that great unraveling and opening up of, information would not have happened without it. But everything that's happened since then kind of led to now. And I haven't figured out the exact ingredient and mix yet in, in terms of marketing, um, because I think this is kind of new. I'm not sure a lot of people have gone back and just completely gutted, you know, their first and then given it a new ISBN number, a new title, a new name. I did want to keep Kim Brook in the title. And so that was important just to me to have that uh, that piece in there. Uh, so I'm sure that probably hurts a little bit, but in terms of marketing, because they do share a similar title, um, although not identical, but uh, there's enough um, different about it that I'm trying to um, get that word out there that you won't be disappointed um, in terms of that, that you should in no way feel like you're reading um, the same material. And it's, it's a, it's a learning process every day. It's something new. And that's, I learned something more and that's, that's what's important. Yeah, I mean, I can really envision a strong messaging campaign to the Arabian community, but not only that, but people who are interested in the history of horses and just have this conversation that there was there was this great breakthrough that you had after having this meaningful book that you wrote about these people that were so important in your life, but then there was this breakthrough because of that. And then this new book emerged which expands on the 81 page book and just really tells a complete story with deep dives into the history and new interviews. And I, I think there's a way you can create a campaign that just really says like, you know, it's not the same book. This is a reimagined right. book. It's not a rebrand. It, it's completely all new material. Yeah. I mean, it's because, you know, at first I was thinking it was just, you know, an expanded version, but not even that it's like, it's a reimagined and you, you did take down the other one, which means that this is, this is the replacement, but yes. you, know, you know, a lot of authors would probably feel uncomfortable that there's another version of the book in the world. But I think the way that you told the story is really important because without that first stab, this one would not exist. Right. Yeah. And I think, too, in terms of marketing as well, I'd like to share with readers that if you've read Always Hope or maybe you read, you know, it first, that is and, you know, from having read it, there's some chapters in there devoted to my heart horse fox. And and you see my personal relationship in there with a the Kimbrough horse. But the new book, the new Kimbrough book is is not about that personal relationship. I mean, it, it is, you know, completely different from there. So if you read one, I think you're kind of going to want to read the other, because if you, you know, you see the science and the ideas and the thoughts that went into breeding fox, if you read the Kimbrough book first, but then you can see, oh, I had this deeply personal relationship with this horse in my memoir. So they're, they're, they're not a series, but, but they're connected. And so that, that's another part of the, the marketing piece that I think is helpful. Oh, absolutely. I would totally agree with that because I, I was fascinated to learn more about Kimbrook after having read your 
memoir, Always Hope, which talked about your deep connection to this family and to the horse and to the horses they were breeding the program that they were running. So I, they, are, they are a natural thread back and forth. Now, back matter and Always Hope, you got to go back and add some information about the, your new Kimbrook book so you can direct yes. people over there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, uh, and so, and that was part of the, you know, the learning process too. So I, you know, I'd had another graphic designer and editor and, and all of that for the previous book. Of course, that material was mine. She was gracious, you know, enough to give that to me, but I have even, my current graphic designer has even, you know, worked with me on getting those updates done so that people who buy always hope and, and maybe want more and, and want to know more can certainly look and easily find that information. Smart marketer there. That's good. Back back matter is important. They can link your books together, especially if there's content, you know, whether it's a series like mine is, or it's, you know, a memoir that supports or a book that supports the memoir, you know, back and forth. It's the whole thing is a fascinating circle that works. It together. is. And that's, you know, I've tried to put in the same bookmark in both books that I give out to encourage people to leave reviews that, you know, have read the book. But then I also stick my business card in there, which has a QR code to my LinkedIn account. So you can, you know, if you just want to read some of my other work, that's not book related, but my freelance content that I create, you know, there's true horse stories in there. There's, you know, true journalism stories in there. There's, there's a little bit of everything. And so anybody that's interested can scan it on their smartphone and go straight to the LinkedIn profile and kind of read up on some of those things. Oh, that's so smart, you know, because somebody that reads your book is going to be interested in other, other things that you've written, especially because everything kind of circulates around agriculture and horses and the rural way of living and, and breeding great Arabian horses and the contribution to history. I mean, you, you are c contributing to history with your, both your memoir and the Kimbrook story, and then you cover all ranges of topics in your freelance work. What would you say to someone who's interested in freelance writing or taking on writing a book? Like what advice would you give? Well, in terms of writing a book, I would definitely say don't go it alone. Like the first time, I mean, hopefully teach others not to go by my mistakes. Find a copy editor that you nick well with on a lot of different levels. You know, Toby and I, you might not have a friendship with that person like Toby and I did. The back and forth between the two of us was very easy you know, because of that, because I felt like she would be honest with me and I would be honest with her and it wouldn't hurt our feelings. You know, she could say that stinks. Let's redo that, you know, sentence. I absolutely get what you're trying to say, but you know, that doesn't work. And that was it. We were friends enough that we could say that, but I don't know that you're always going to be able to find a copy editor that you have a relationship like that, but I would try to get as close as possible. And that, and that goes back to going to conferences and meeting people and finding that developing those relationships so that that is in place, you know, when you need it. So I knew immediately when I was going to rewrite this book, she was my person, you know, for that. And, and she ended up, you know, getting me in touch, like we've talked about before with the graphic designer. And so I would highly recommend you know, get hire a professional. And even though I didn't have a relationship with the graphic designer, Toby did. And that's, that's something too, that hopefully your copy editor can kind of lead you to so that you're not hiring someone maybe completely blind. So I would strongly recommend that. And the same thing with freelancing, it's all about networking. And, you know, I started with one publication and it's kind of mushroomed out from there just because of going and networking and talking to people and, you know, exchanging ideas and that type of thing, but not trying to be alone because we've said this many times throughout the interview. It's, it's a tribe. It's, mm -hmm. 
and we're all supporting each other. It is, it's not about, I don't see you as a competitor. I see you as a, a, a coworker, a compatriot. Even so we're not competing against one another. We're all with each other, helping each other out with our strengths and weaknesses and that sort of thing. Yeah. And sharing our, our networks and our contacts and, and yes. helping, helping each other make the best products possible. Yes. And you mentioned networking. I know from knowing you and, you know, from <laughs> how you answered some of the questions here that at first you could be a little shy or, yes. or introverted. What would you say to a, you know, a fellow writer who is like, Oh, networking. I'm, I don't want to network. <laughs> what advice would you, would you share? I think one of the things that, and I haven't always, you know, written stories, but one of the, I used to be an introvert in sales and marketing, which is completely <laughs> opposite of one another. But one of the things that I found that really helped me is I could put on another face. I could be another person temporarily, you know, in order to, to get out there and be able to speak to people and do those things. So I just kind of, until I got to where I felt I could be very genuine and get to know you and be very extroverted because, you know, we've had a lot of good experiences, you know, together. And I wouldn't consider myself introverted with you at all because we know one another, but um, almost just if, if you have to fake it till you make it. And that's, and that's what I did in the sales and marketing until I felt really comfortable, you know, with my clients and, and talking about it. And that's kind of carried over into other areas of my life. Yeah, fake it to make it, or or I like to say practice, 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 practice. Yes, it might not. Yes. It's just like writing. It might not be comfortable at first, and you know I'm the same way. You hope I would, you know, I <laughs> I may occur extroverted, but I'm, you know, in the beginning of my corporate career, I was hopelessly shy, and you know, not sure of my words. And the more I practiced, and the more I just put myself out there, and Definitely. Got out of get out of my head. The easier it became. But I would yes. say, in at like a, a place like American Horse Publications, we all have the horse in common. So it's very easy to strike up. It is. It is. <laughs> and then and then from there, you just it, it just expands. You meet people that all know and love the same things. That you do. and and it's fantastic. It's it's wonderful. And you just have to you just have to have the courage to put yourself out there initially, and everything else will take care of itself. Oh, yeah, it, great advice. It, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's it, it's just have have the courage, generate the courage, and you know, a great place to start. Like we said, is a place where people share what you're interested in, and yes. you know, are, are friendly. It's a great place to start before you get out to those like more challenging places, perhaps like the, yes. the business workplace shoots you into. <laughs> so yeah, the American Horse Publication is a great place to do that. Now. I always love to ask these questions because I think every author answers a little bit differently, but for you, what has been the very best part of your writing life? And then on the flip side, what's been the most challenging? The best part is just, well, meeting people, first of all, but then just recently a piece that I had written for a new client in Hobby Farms, and they had a a 20 year anniversary best of like their best articles over the last 20 years. And this piece that I had written for them made that publication. And so those are some of the, you know, the best moments, you know, when you get that, the worst part, I guess, for me is not being able to do um, this full time. And so sometimes I do feel segmented. And sometimes I do feel like that makes what I do a little bit harder, because I'm not always able to go to a conference that I want to go to, because it's, this is not writing is not my job. You know, when you're torn 
between all the different things that you want to work on. And maybe I don't get to spend, this is something I love and I'm very passionate about, but maybe I need to get something done for my day job first before I can work on that. And so those are things that are very hard for me. Mm, Yeah. And I totally agree with you, but kudos to you for making room for it because I know you're, you're a very, very busy person. You know, you and your family live on a Tennessee century farm where you raise hay and black Angus cattle in a cow calf breed operation. In addition, you are the freelance writer, an author, you run your own business, Red Horse on a Red Hill Communications, you're a horse owner, you're a mother, and you're a classroom teacher. You know, (laughs) I I just, I don't know. I mean, you are an incredible woman and you're making room for your passions. Like, talk to listeners about how you do fit room in for your passion when you are so busy. Like, I mean, that's a lot to juggle. It's, it's about finding me time. It's about finding your happy because writing, for example, is very therapeutic for me. And, and it's not, it doesn't matter what the topic is. I love to write. And so even if I've had a very challenging day at school and I'm very tired and I'm exhausted, carving out some time to sit down and work on a project that I'm working on is, is not like a second job for me. Going out and working on the farm is not like a second job. Uh, you know, for me, those are things that definitely are just, they're me time. They make me feel better, calmer, more centered, and able to go back and tackle, you know, the challenges of my classroom teacher position. And I do believe that you will eventually be able to do this full time because you are, you're putting in the time and you're making the connections and you're doing the right things and you're writing these books. And, and, you know, I, I think a lot of us struggle with that, right? It's like, we, in order to do what we love to do, we have to make the money to be able to do that by doing something that is stressful, you know? Right. And it's not that I don't love the contributions of being a classroom teacher, but I, you know, in my mind almost, and and we kind of talked about this, I'm getting older. I just had a big birthday and uh, (laughs) I just, I'm thinking in terms, you know, now I'm seeing, you know, retirement as a light at the end of the tunnel. And so I'm, you know, almost kind of, you know, thinking this would be a great way to supplement my retirement, you know, income a few years into the future. And, and you're setting the framework for that to exist with what you're doing right now. Yes. You probably can't do as many projects as you will do then, but you're at least but, doing that and your foot's in the door and you've got great relationships and you've got, you know, two books. And I'm sure there's more coming, which is my next question. Like, <laughs> what are you curious about? What's next for you? I mean, you've just reimagined this, this book and this huge contribution to a family that was important to you and to the history of Raven horses. You know, do you have your eyes on, on anything in the future? Well, I tell you, one of the things that is, I'm really excited about right now is last year I had written my first article for Hobby Farms magazine and I wrote a couple more for them this year. And they're really my first non-horse client. I've written for a ton of um, horse publications and I love working with them and I want to continue to do so, obviously, because that's you know my heart and my passion. But I also have a background with all animals, chickens, hogs, goats, I mean, the whole you know, the whole gamut. And so I have really enjoyed writing these pieces for Hobby Farms and have even got to go on location and explore a little bit of a photography piece, you know, of that by taking pictures to complement my work. And, and so I'm kind of interested to see where that goes. I would like to, you know, expand some more in that area because it's, it is, you know, interesting to include some 
uh, different topics and subjects and uh, to kind of dust the cobwebs off that that knowledge has been kind of sitting back there, <clears throat> excuse me, while I'm writing the, you know, the horse pieces and, and work with that. The article that I was mentioning that got into the best 20 years of hobby farms was about raising hogs on a small farm. And I just wrote a piece about doing business with a, a like a chicken hatchery and, and that published recently. So it's, it's neat and it's interesting and it keeps things fresh and exciting. And I'm kind of excited to, uh, to see where that goes. Oh, how cool. I love that. Yeah. And if you read Always Hope, which is Hope's memoir, you will fully understand the depth that she has with working with different livestock or things you'll find on the farm. I mean, she can literally doctor a cow. (laughs) I thought that was amazing. Uh, for the for listeners who may not have heard of Hobby Farm, so you talk a little bit about about the magazine and and sure. So the magazine is is basically for small farmers and in some cases farmers who are homesteaders. Readers are very much do it yourselfers, and so that that really resonates with me because you know that that's who I am. It's a really neat publication that just covers a lot of different facets from from gardening to hogs, to sheep, to goats, to chickens, to, you know, just raising your own food and, and what that looks like and, and how that works and, and uh, what are your processing options if you want to raise your own meat or if you want to have a, a fruit stand or a vegetable stand or if you want to have people, you know, come to your farm and, and buy your product. Oh, I love that. And it's preserving a way of life. Again, you, you are being a contribution to the history of, of what it's like. I mean, this is what people actually did. I mean, we're in a world that is becoming so disconnected from growing our own vegetables and being on a farm or or what that way of life was like. I I just, I have this inclination that things are going to come full circle and people are going to have to have those skills someday in the future. And you, and that's, yes. And that's exactly, you know, what that that's about is people um, are, have that desire to get reconnected with, you know, the way of life before all I knew was going to the grocery store. That's where meat comes from as I go and buy it all, but except it doesn't. And so there's, there's a whole process of raising that, that animal and raising your own pork or raising your own eggs or your own chicken. And so it's really, it's fascinating to me to kind of, uh, to get back to my parents and grandparents way of life and to be able to write about that and share it in a way that hopefully newcomers are interested as well as people who have maybe done it for a while, but, you know, want to brush up on a few things. What I'm really hearing is you're lit up by the work that you're doing and the writing that you're doing and you're capturing all this information too for people to enjoy and you're sharing your knowledge. I I am so proud of you, Hope. I'm so grateful to call you you my friend. Grateful to call you my friend. You're amazing too. We have a great group of connections that we're, we're all friends with. I'm proud of all of you guys. Yeah. I mean, we've all, we've all made a big difference in each other's growth uh, since we've met each other. Like you said, generate the courage to talk to others, especially people who are in your wheelhouse, who who write, who like horses, who do what you do. Uh, There's a lot of really cool women in the American Horse Publications and men uh, (laughs) who who will support you. Our dreams are capturable and hope is living proof of that. And she's just remastered an amazing book, Hope, would you share with listeners where they can find more information about you and find your books? So on Facebook, Red Horse on a Red Hill is one site, but then specifically with the Kimbrook book, I started a Kimbrook Arabians Appreciation page. And so even now when I get 
new information or I want to highlight or illustrate something um, from the book, I will post things on that page. So uh, those are the two best venues on Facebook. I am Red Horse on Red Hill on Instagram. And then I'm uh, just Hope Ellis Ashburn on LinkedIn. Uh, And if you go there, you can find links to all of my published works that have links available that are published online. And my books right now are available at Amazon. I'm really fortunate. Um, I'm exploring some other options uh, currently, but I'm really fortunate that a local store supports local authors in a big way. And so they have a dedicated space for local authors. And so a little town uh, just about 15 or 20 minutes away, Dunlap, Tennessee, local depot. My books are, I do signed copies of my books uh, through them. And, And so I'm always looking for little opportunities like that as well. Yes, big shout out to our local bookstores who support local local authors. So let's support our bookstores. Uh, but you know, obviously, if, if you need it, it's on Amazon. But local bookshops rock. And hope I've so appreciate the gift of your time. Thank you for coming on the show today. And I'm, Thank I'm you excited. For I'm excited about your new release. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.